0: the fact that him and, and Cobb were chuckling about it in the huddle and then later said that they weren't, even though HBO cameras caught them laughing about it, um, really speaks to the kind of quality person that Aaron Rodgers apparently is. And, you know, his commentary to Giad Ward, you know, laughing, he was chuckling about that on the sidelines you saw in Hard Knocks and talking about how he doesn't know who he is, doesn't know his name, never heard of him. But I don't know. Maybe he forgot last year when Jihad Ward knocked him on his butt twice when the Giants upset the Packers in London. So maybe uh, his his darkness retreats and his bizarre <laughs> psychedelic drugs aren't helping his brain as much as he thought.
1: Welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here. And I'm excited to be, I guess, officially kicking off season four of the Giants Wire podcast. Joined, as always, by my good buddy and Giants guru, Dan Benton of the USA Today Network Uh, Dan, we have made it to another season of Giants football, my friend. I'm excited. Are you ready?
0: I honestly can't even believe we're here already. It it feels like it came so fast. And, you know, I've got fans saying, you know, it felt like it was ages for them. But for for us on our end, it it feels like we were just doing this. But, you know, here we are, you know, the long, hot summers winding closed and you know the boys, uh, boys of summer are saying goodbye, and 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 football's right around the corner. It's it's a kind of amazing that we're about to kick things off and in a big way in, in Giants land.
1: One hundred percent, yeah. We're we're actually recording this episode where we're gonna kind of wrap up the training camp and and off stuff with the Giants, and then look ahead to uh, Giants Cowboys Sunday Night Football. Blew out at MetLife Stadium, right, Dan? I mean, if you're not fired up for that game, then we got to get your pulse checked. You know, I think we're all fired up for this. Like, it doesn't get any better than Giants-Cowboys on Sunday night to kick it off. Like, let's go. Uh, But yeah, we'll be wrapping up the preseason and looking up ahead to that game later in the program. But first, Dan, let's kind of talk about some of the big topics that we maybe haven't covered over the last couple weeks while I was moving to Minnesota. (laughs) That's kind of why we haven't been on here for the last couple weeks. So my apologies, but we'll be back weekly now. Uh, for the rest of the season, and we're we're fired up for that. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, uh, that that kind of big trade, right, right on or right around cut down day, Dan. I know it's a little while ago now, but I want to get your take on this, right? Former top ten pick, I think he was drafted as a linebacker. Now he was trying to play safety for the Cardinals before they, I guess, they decided they were going to cut him because they didn't trade him for much, right? But what's your take on this? He he's. An interesting player, to say the least, a guy that could get plugged into the defense in in a couple different ways, maybe as a pass rusher. How do you think the Giants end up deploying Isaiah Simmons? How much do we see him in week one? You know, like, what do you think about this?
0: Oh, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously. Um, Personally, from my perspective, I think it was an excellent trade by Joe Shane and the Giants, adding an extremely athletic and talented linebacker, uh, of which the Giants needed Uh, to Wink Martindale's defense and if anybody's going to figure out how to use Simmons properly it's going to be Wink Martindale there's no doubt about that he was wildly misused in Arizona uh, routinely you know used outside of his natural position outside of his natural ability and you know he was capable of, of coverage and playing in the secondary and things like that but that's not really what you know his specialty is where he fits in with the Giants you know again that's there's, it's kind of like a, a, a no position defense with Wink Martindale. You're going to see him at inside linebacker. You're going to see him along the edge. You'll probably see him drop into coverage here and there. You're, you're going to see him do a little bit of everything, and, and they're going to find ways to get him to the quarterback um, in particular. Um, so, yeah, it's you know I think it was a good addition. A lot of people from around the league, whether they be fans or national media or what have you, kind of dismiss it because – He underperformed in Arizona, but it's not like he's any less of a freak athlete than he was coming out of college. It's just a matter of finding the right place for him, the right fit for him. And Wink Martindale is an absolute expert at figuring out what to do and how to play players to their strength. And I think you'll see that with Simmons, but how much he plays in week one, it's probably not going to be much, um, they'll have a few packages for him, um, you know, that he feels comfortable with after such a short time with the team. But as the regular season goes on and, and he becomes more familiar with the defensive scheme and, and the, the verbiage and the language of it, um, you'll see his playtime increase substantially, but out of the gate, you know, you're not going to see him too much just because he's getting used to the defense, but still Wink will find what he's most comfortable with early on. And they'll use him right there. So you'll see him on the field and, and hopefully he makes an impact for the Giants early. But I definitely believe as the season goes along, you'll see him used everywhere across the
1: defense. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. You know, does the addition of Simmons mean for a player like Micah McFadden, Dan, right? Like a, a player who had a really good training camp, won the job, right? Like we're going to see him at will linebacker. That's what we've all been expecting. But, you know, if Simmons is lining up as inside linebacker himself and they're using him in different ways, maybe he's taking some snaps from a guy like McFadden or others on the defense, right? Do you, do you foresee anything like that?
0: Well, I think the giants want a deeper rotation. It was one of the major issues they had, particularly on the defensive side of the ball last year, whether it was at, you know, the interior of the defensive line, even at their edge rusher positions, the linebacker positions, safety positions, you know, they were so thin at so many different positions that so many guys, so many starters played a bloated number of snaps that it was almost dangerous. So I, I think, you know Simmons does take some snaps from some other players. I think it's just all part of the the natural rotation that the Giants wish they had a season ago. So I don't think any one of the starters is going to look at it and complain that they're not playing a hundred percent of the snaps on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> and you know Simmons can move all over the place. So you know if he takes one or two snaps from McFadden um, at one point in the game, you know he'll move to a different position uh, throughout the game, and it's not going to it's not going to cut into anyone's any starters uh, snap count to any overwhelming degree. It's kind of more along the lines of what the giants should have been doing a year ago, what they couldn't have done a year ago.
1: Yep. That makes perfect sense. So other takeaways, Dan, from like just the giants cut down to to the 53 man roster. I mean, a big topic that we continually hit on was wide receiver. The giants ended up going with six wide receivers, which is, you know, on the higher end across the NFL, but on the lower end, based on what we were kind of predicting for the giants, because they had, uh, as we've said, you know, a good problem with a lot of good players, at wide receiver, so I, I could get your take on maybe some of the decisions they made there. They also swung a trade with the Bills uh, for Boogie Basham, a pass rusher that the Bills drafted. I think in the, I think he was a day three draft pick, and they trade him to the Giants. Uh, We also talked, we we speculated based on what we were hearing from camp that two rookies, Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins, that would start on the outside at corner. That looks like that is the case going into the game against the Cowboys with a Dory Jackson in the slot. So, you know, I know there's a lot there, but other takeaways from the final 53, maybe starting with the wide receivers and, and some of the other moves the team made.
0: Yeah. I think the giants would have actually carried an, at least one more wide receiver um, in Bryce Ford Wheaton, had he not been injured. Uh, unfortunately, he's been lost for the season, but he seemed aligned to earn a role uh, specifically because of his talent as Gunner. And that's actually, you know, the giants took a major hit there. I think it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit because he was an undrafted rookie, but he was an extremely athletic and talented player, uh, particularly at the gunner position. He had, obviously had a lot of work to, to do and development to be had at wide receiver, but he he was an asset on special teams and losing him is, is going to hurt Thomas McGahee's group uh, pretty considerably. Um, because of that injury, obviously, you saw the Giants uh, trim down you know, their wide receivers a bit. They brought Cole Beasley back to the practice squad. Unfortunately, he's injured, so... The Giants did go from having eight wide receivers on the on the game day roster to potentially six or seven if they call one up now. So it is a little bit less than we we anticipated. But again, we kind of cautioned that that could change due to injury, and it did, unfortunately. Um, it allowed them to carry an extra inside linebacker, though Cam Brown, who I was kind of skeptical was going to make the team because Carter Coughlin had you know kind of leaped past them pretty considerably. On the defensive side of the ball, but the Giants ultimately kept both because of their special teams prowess, which, again, there's an emphasis on that, uh, particularly down the depths of the roster. And uh, they need as much as they could get with some of those guys like the aforementioned Braceford we Wheaton getting, getting injured. So, you know, I'm not I'm not overly shocked that they ended up with just six wide receivers after those injuries. Again, I, I do think you'll see one promoted on game day. So they'll they'll boost that up to, to seven. Um as far as Boogie Basham goes, the Giants needed another outside linebacker. They need depth along the edge. It wasn't just Simmons that was going to come in and, and, and cure that problem, uh, particularly because he'll play on the inside, he'll play in the secondary a bit, he'll move around. The Giants needed another body in there to rotate. Because, uh, again, like I, like I mentioned before and like we saw last year, that was a major issue pretty much across the board. So he provides added depth. Uh, familiar, Joe Shane and, and, and Brian Dable are familiar with him. Wink Martindale, you know, again, the best at getting the best out of players. So he, he's an interesting addition, but he's not going to play any kind of major role, I don't think, unless there's an injury. But he'll be a good rotational piece that the Giants can rely on, particularly as he gets more comfortable in the defense. But overall, I, you know, I think the roster looks pretty good. It certainly looks a lot better than it did a year ago. There were some surprises. I didn't think Gary Brightwell, you know, with his injury and everything like that, was going to make the team. I thought either he'd be... You know, waived or or possibly placed on IR, or something like that. But um, at least you know, as of this recording, which comes before Wednesday's practice, it, it looks like he's active on the fifty-three man roster. It doesn't look like they're gonna they're gonna shelve him for any period of time. I know some people are surprised that Shane Lemieux made the cut, but the Giants, you know, they they need that depth. He's a versatile guy. He could play inside. He could play outside. He practiced there uh, this offseason, this summer. Um, again, there's there's a lot of promise in him. They just they can't seem to get it out of him. So. Um, the one issue that they do have that's glaring to me when you look at the 53-man roster is their swing tackle is Matt Pert, who, let's just be honest, he did not have a good summer, played horrific during the preseason. And if knock on wood, Evan Neal or Andrew Thomas are forced to miss any amount of time, that does not inspire a lot of confidence for the Giants.
1: No, I don't think anyone will argue with that, Dan. Yeah, I no. mean, depth of tackle is a little, is a, is thin, razor thin. Uh, so that would be, to say, to say yeah, that would be, I mean, it's, it's, it's only Matt Pert, right? I mean, that's pretty much the back. Yeah. They've
0: got some yeah. guards that could play there, but you know, that is, that it's not something that the giants can possibly feel very comfortable with. And you would when you look up and down their roster, they are significantly deeper than they were a year ago, except at tackle and backup tackle position. That's a, that's a major, major concern that they've got to deal with right now.
1: Yeah, so no pressure to Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal. You just have guys smashing yeah, into you every play. <laughs> just don't get injured. Right. Uh, yeah, so Better that is field. yeah, that's definitely a little bit alarming. And and we mentioned the the rookie starting on the outside. Let's circle back to that later because I think I have some questions about that as it pertains to this game against the Cowboys. So we're going to dig into that game here coming up next. Uh, what another thing that we had to touch on, Dan, real quick before we wrap up kind of our preseason stuff is uh, this uh, the preseason game with the Giants and the Jets. Which uh, okay. never fails to disappoint. I mean, this is now known as the "I don't know who you are" game, right? So that's that's what this is known as. Uh, but obviously, the exchange was between uh, Jihad Ward and Aaron Rodgers was was kind of funny. Uh, if you if you watch Hard Knocks on HBO, you got you got a good glimpse of of exactly how that went down. But the situation isn't all that funny. It's actually kind of it's kind of ugly, right? With the with the hit Randall Cobb put on uh, Bobby McCain. He had a pretty bad concussion there. Re- Rogers and Cobb were kind of, you know, laughing about it, I guess, in the huddle. Jihad Ward took exception to that and then made sure he gave Rodgers a little bit of a shot. So, uh, what do you think of that whole exchange? A- and maybe the, you know, Giants Jets preseason game overall. Well,
0: I know a lot of people feel like that was blown out of proportion and it was really just the same old kind of chit chat trash talk that you get in every NFL game. And to some degree, that's true, but. You know, what inspired that, like you said, was an illegal and filthy, filthy hit on Bobby McCain uh, that actually Randall Cobb got fined for pretty significantly by NFL standards. Uh, And, yeah, I I completely understand that rubbing Ward the wrong way. He's that kind of guy. He's that kind of general that's going to make sure you know about it, that you hear about it, that you understand that that's, you know, not going to be tolerated. So, you know, the Giants and his teammates, they undoubtedly got to respect him for that. Rogers took exception because he's King Rogers in his own mind and he's beyond approach. And, and the fact that him and, and Cobb were chuckling about it in the huddle, and then later said that they weren't, even though HBO cameras caught them laughing about it, um, really speaks to the kind of quality person that Aaron Rodgers apparently is. And, you know, his commentary to G.I. Ward, you know, laughing, he was chuckling about that on the sidelines you saw in hard knocks and Talking about how he doesn't know who he is, doesn't know his name, never heard of him. But I don't know. Maybe he forgot last year when Jihad Ward knocked him on his butt twice when the Giants upset the Packers in London. So maybe uh, his his darkness retreats and his bizarre <laughs> psychedelic drugs aren't helping his brain as much as he thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to trust anyone that showers with like by rubbing clay on their body or whatever. Rodgers did into, but yeah, Jihad Ward had some. Some interesting comments, uh, to say the least. Afterwards, he always is good for a a soundbite. I don't have the sound, but I can read um, what he said. He said, that was some sucker bleep that Randall Cobb and Aaron Rodgers did, and I'm stamping on that. I ain't hiding from nothing. You could laugh now, cry later. Nice Drake reference right there, Dan. Um, They know what they did, and they were laughing at all that stuff, and I was the only one that was sticking up for McCain. So that's what uh, Jihad Ward said after the game. Uh, Fireworks. You don't expect anything less when the Jets and Giants get together. So I I love the the hate. Let's fuel it. (laughs) You know,
0: that kind of thing. Listen, I I say it every year. If you go through and you read my articles leading up to the game, um, if you talk to me privately, if you talk to me on Twitter or social media, away from the game itself, I always say the same thing. I hate the Jets and the Giants playing in the preseason because the Giants treat it like a preseason game and the Jets treat it like the Super Bowl every single year. It doesn't matter who the general manager is. It doesn't matter who the head coach is. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. They go into that preseason game with the same intensity every single year, and it's just the most crazy inferiority complex thing that I've ever seen in my life covering the game of football and it never fails. And the giants always, always, always. And I would challenge anybody to go back and log this. They always suffer more injuries in the preseason game against the jets than they do against any other team because the jets put everything they have on the line. And you saw it again this year, they started all their starters. They started Aaron Rodgers for the what, for the first time in his career in the preseason. First time in a long time at the very least. Yeah. And, if you actually watch the game, they game planned for a preseason game. Who does that? Who does that? It's the most insecure little brother like mentality that you could possibly have and then, you know, you got Aaron Rodgers who's had a cup of coffee in New York and doesn't even know where to eat good pizza yet talking about how it should be named Jet Life Stadium. Like we've heard this line before. You do you do your research on the team you play for. Rex Ryan and his group, they've already done this before and we already know how that ends and Quite honestly, if you hear the disdain in my voice, it's because the Jets and their inferior, the inferiority complex really does get under the skin of everyone associated with the Giants because it's relentless. They're like a gnat at a barbecue that just won't go away. And I hope the Giants end up smacking them this season like they've done so many times when the game's counted in the past.
1: Oh, man. I thought I hated the Jets as a Patriots fan, Dan. But no, it's you're on another level, and I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, we, could, we could trash the Jets all day long on the show. And hopefully we have uh, more, more space to do it. I mean, the jets are always a topic. Um, so we could do that, but yeah, I mean.
0: It, well, it, I can't it, wait for that game personally. And I guarantee you that Jihad Ward, he's going to focus on the games leading up to that game, but he's got all that stuff in the back of his head, especially after HBO went out and kind of kindly edited that material in Rogers's favor, which they did, but I understandably. So, I mean, it's a reality TV show. He's the star of the show. That's, that's how it's going to be. But, yeah. For Rodgers then to come out and lie about what had happened, only for that video to later surface showing that everything Ward said was right, I do hope that the Giants circle back to that when the time comes and they keep that in the back of their minds.
1: Yep. Uh, it's 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 good stuff as always. And, and you're right. It is very little brother inferiority complex that the Jets put Aaron Rodgers out there when the Giants – Aren't playing a lot of their starters, right? And almost
0: any of them played three of them for like
1: one series. Exactly. I mean, Daniel Jones wasn't out there. Uh, so they put Aaron Rodgers out there and yeah, they wanted him to look good. Uh, that was kind of right. They wanted to put him out there. They wanted him to look good. They wanted him to throw a touchdown pass, all that. Uh, and and it does speak to that. So, uh, yeah, again, I'm here for this commentary all day long, Dan. Just give me the Jets hate. We could talk offline about that too. Yeah,
0: well, just... I, the Jets, the, the Jets and their fans better hope they don't bomb out because Giants Nation is gonna unload on them if they do. I'll tell you <laughs> that right now. All
1: right, we're gonna get to this ballgame against the Cowboys, speaking of hatred. Uh, but uh real quick, we just mentioned DJ. He didn't play in that preseason game. He did restructure his contract, save the Giants uh over six million in cap space. Uh does anybody out there care about this Dan? Is this why I mean I know Daniel Jones is the lightning rod but why would anybody care mm. that Jones restructured his contract and they prorated whatever into whatever a signing bonus whatever uh and saved the team cap space. Does anybody care negatively about this? Please tell me.
0: I'm sure, I I'm sure they do. I like I, I said and I'll admit this on air I don't care. I've already gone into don't read your replies and tweets mode for the regular season because it's just constant nastiness. You know what I did. You know what I started doing, Dan. I just me? stopped
1: tweeting. That's what I did. I know you can't <laughs> do that because of your your role and your job. But I just stopped tweeting altogether, and that's been glorious.
0: Anything that Daniel Jones, anything that involves Daniel Jones, whether it's negative or positive, elicits just such severe reactions out of people. Uh, you know, it, it's just like almost like an immune response to <laughs> to everything that's Daniel Jones. And believe it or not. Uh, that particular article on him restructuring his contract has been our number one article every single day <laughs> since it was written. So when you talk about a lightning rod, there is no greater lightning rod than Daniel Jones. And
1: it's just like it's like a, it's no offense, Dan. I mean, it's not really a story, right? It's just a restructure. It's just like moving money around. You know, it's like right. us, it's like uh, it's like Joe Schmo moving cash from savings to checking. You know what I mean? Like That's what it is. <laughs> that's really if it
0: were any if it were any other player it would be it would be treated that way yeah. it would be a throwaway article but it's funny because as it happened and i was writing it i knew damn well that whether it be good or whether it be bad that the reaction to that was going to be extreme and it was it's uh, per the usual um you know i saw that there were an extravagant number of comments on both facebook and twitter or x or whatever you <laughs> want to call it these comments days. you haven't read um, yeah Yeah, that I didn't read, and I could tell just how, you know, greatly engaged the fan base was just by looking at the comments and the page views on that particular article, and again, man, it's just, it's so wild to me that something so mundane and insignificant can elicit such an extreme reaction on both ends, it's just, that just tells you where Daniel Jones is in terms of being that aforementioned lightning rod, it's, it's, it's almost beyond Eli Manning levels, which is crazy to me because I never ever thought that I would see someone elicit such extreme reactions on
1: both sides like Eli Manning had, but here we are doing it again. Yep, it's perfect. I love it. And speaking of DJ, um he's had his struggles, Dan, to say the least, against the Cowboys. Uh he mm-hmm. I mean this is this is a sneaky big game for Daniel Jones. And this, you know, he just had this big, you know, kind of career year last year. We're looking for the next step now. I think uh game one against the Cowboys kind of trying to reverse those fortunes. I think he's one in six in his career against the Cowboys. Um, it would be nice to get off on the right foot. We'll start talking about that game, breaking that one down, make predictions. The great Danton is back for another year. Get ready, folks. We're going to talk about that as well. But first, let's get some fantasy advice from the huddle.com.
2: Welcome to the 2023 NFL season. I'm Corey Bonini of the huddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number one. Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff at Kansas City. The Chiefs appear to be without pass-rushing defensive tackle Chris Jones and his 15.5 sacks from 2022, while Goff is likely to be without his starting center. Casey's offense could be slowed if Travis Kelsey has to sit, but there's still a chance this becomes a shootout. Be careful though, since Goff was much better at home than on the road a year ago. Consider him a low-end QB1 in the season opener. Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson Jr. versus the Arizona Cardinals. Returning as the unquestioned starter on early downs, Robinson should be in for a treat in a favorable matchup to open the season. His usage at the goal line gives him touchdown upside, and Washington should lean heavily on the run with quarterback Sam Howell taking over. We should see a small receiving uptick for Robinson, but he should do enough on the ground as a fringe RB2 option against a defense that allowed 22 running back touchdowns a year ago and didn't clearly improve this offseason. Wide receiver Michael Thomas, New Orleans Saints at Tennessee Titans. If Thomas really is ready to return to any semblance of his past glory, it should come this week versus a Tennessee group that is among the top candidates to be the weakest pass defense in fantasy football. A year ago, this was the best matchup for PPR wide receivers and New Orleans should test the secondary early and often. The Saints may have trouble running, which portends to more passing volume. Thomas's floor is a 10-point PPR projection, and he has borderline wide receiver one upside. Tight end David Njoku, Cleveland Browns versus Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati gave up serious numbers in terms of volume in 2022, but only three of 89 catches by the position were worth six points. With Deshaun Watson under center in the Week 14 meeting, he found Njoku seven times for 59 yards and a score. Since he has two new starting safeties in Daxon Hill and Nick Scott, both relatively inexperienced. For that alone, we liken Joku's chances of posting another robust fantasy line. For more award-winning fantasy football tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com.
1: Alright, we're back. The Giants are three-point home underdog to the Cowboys, at least at last check at time of recording, Dan. That line might move over under set at 46.5. We will make some predictions, get the great Danton's official prediction here coming up in a bit. But, uh, Let's start here with this matchup, Dan. One interesting little nugget is that Mike McCarthy is going to be calling the plays, right? And we know Dak Prescott had a tough year to say the least with his uh turnovers, <laughs> he threw a lot of interceptions. Got bet, he injured his thumb, right? Last year came back and just started tossing interceptions all over the place. Mike McCarthy comes in. What do you think changes? Do you think that means they feature the run more? They they stop letting Dak force it downfield uh, you know, what do you think? changes from kellen moore to mike mccarthy in terms of play calling
0: well i don't think they're going to want to change it too much um i I think mccarthy had a pretty heavy influence on what they were calling previously and i don't think they necessarily want to install an entirely new offensive system especially coming off a 12-1 season you don't really want to derail that um, even if your quarterback was throwing a bunch of interceptions to close out the year yeah um i think you probably will look a little bit more like green bay's offense once did but I, I don't like. I said I don't anticipate any kind of massive change. However, there are there's caveat to that. Like, and McCarthy said it himself, and Dable said it this week, is that there are going to be new wrinkles to both of these offenses. Offenses. So a lot of of what we're going to see, and McCarthy is has who said it up to like 33% of what we're going to see from both the Giants' offense and the Cowboys' offense on Sunday night. There are going to be things that neither team has seen in the past, and neither team has been able to game plan for. So you're going to see, you know, a good amount of plays on both sides of the ball. They're going to be new to everybody who's watching. Um, and again, who, you know, things that the other team, the other defense hasn't been able to game plan for. Now that's typical of most NFL teams and most NFL seasons, but um, for the Giants who are completely revamped on the offensive side of the ball and the, and the Cowboys, who have you said now, I have a new play caller and have also, you know, changed a lot on the offensive side of the ball. There are going to be, there are going to be a lot of new looks, you know, uh, new plays, players uh, and things that we haven't seen before, not to mention you're going to have that week one, you know, I don't want to call it a mulligan because you don't really get a mulligan in the NFL, but an opportunity for both offenses to test a few things out early in the season to see if they want to stick with them moving forward. So, you know, I, I do expect those differences, the normal offensive differences to start a season. Uh, but outside of that, I'm not 100% sure there's going to be any drastic changes for, for the Cowboys offensively just because of the change in
1: play caller. We know we're going to see Tony Pollard we know we're going to see CD Lamb, right? Those are going to be two the two guys that the uh the Giants have to really account for and stop and and CD Lamb is a tough one mm-hmm. uh because they can line him up all over, especially in the slot. He really excels in the slot and I don't know, maybe that's a a big reason why Adoree Jackson is going to be lining up in there. You know what I mean? This is circling back to that question I had earlier about the rookie uh corners for the Giants, right? What do you think about this? So do you think the Cowboys move C.D. Lamb around to test those rookies out, Dan, or do you think they use Brandon Cooks to try to test out maybe a Trey Hawkins out there? You know what I mean. Like, I feel like the Cowboys and Dak Prescott they are going to try to test those corners and see you know how they look out there. Two rookie corners. You guys, you got to think that the Cowboys have wide eyes wanting to go after them, but especially stopping C.D. Lamb, them moving him around the formation. I mean, uh, you know, if you're a Giants fan, you got to be worried about this guy. He is. He is a stud. He is a stud, and he's probably ready to blow up this year. Uh, so what do you think about that matchup in particular? C.D. Lamb against Adoree Jackson in the slot, but maybe Lamb also moving outside a little bit and moving around the formation and probably getting matched up with those rookies here and there.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, what team wouldn't want to attack a pair of rookie cornerbacks starting in their first NFL game, though? You know, Exactly. Like those yeah. guys, are they're going to go through the growing pains. I mean, that's just the reality of it. they are They're certainly not going to come in and – and both of them are going to be dominant from the jump. That's just that's very unrealistic. So, yeah, I think the Cowboys are, are going to test them early. They're going to test them often. I, I think a lot of that's going to hinge on the offensive line's ability to protect Prescott, though, and that's a whole other story because they're a little banged up with Tyler Smith. There's a lot of inexperience at other positions outside of, of what they have at right guard and left tackle. Um, so it's going to be up to the Giants' defensive line and, and their front seven to put as much pressure on Prescott as possible, get him moving, flush him out of the pocket, um, you know, make him uncomfortable, hit him, hit him early and often, get him, get him to, you know, make some mistakes um, and and kind of protect your rookie cornerbacks is what you're looking for there. Um, But the the reason those two are starting is because they very legitimately earned those roles. So they're not, you know, Banks wasn't thrust in that role because he he was a first round pick. He very easily could have, You know, fall into a reserve because that's just how the Giants do business. That's why you see a guy like Trey Hawkins, who's a later round pick, come in and he earned that role enough that it pushed a Dory Jackson, an accomplished veteran, uh, you know, into the inside. So that speaks volumes to how well they played, and I expect them to play well this season. Like I said, though, they will have some growing pains. I do expect, you know, the Cowboys to challenge them early and often, but they're good man coverage guys. Uh, Wink's defense relies very heavily on physical man coverage. And, you know, and they and they play that well. And that's why they're going to be starting on the outside as opposed to Jackson, who's a little bit more of a gambler at times, prone to giving up a big play, even though he often comes back and immediately, you know, accounts for that. Uh, so that, that should allow an extra second or two for the Giants pass rushers or whatever blitz that Wink wants to throw at him to get to the quarterback. Um, if that doesn't happen, then you really are leaving two rookie cornerbacks who have not seen a lot of anything yet. Um, in the NFL out on an island and that becomes potentially dangerous um, then you kind of rely more heavily on your safeties and again and getting about getting too much into how all the X's and O's break down and everything like that then then you know with the with the safeties dropping back the Cowboys can start running the ball a little bit more Tony Pollard has slashed the Giants in the past so you know that that's how it all goes in. that's how everything kind of breaks down when you when you look at this matchup so really it falls not not necessarily on the Giants' rookie cornerbacks, but more on their front seven and, and wink to be creative with his blitzes to create to create pressure on Prescott and and take some of that pressure off of those rookie cornerbacks. Because if they do get left on an island, again, it's their first NFL experience under the lights on Sunday night with the with the nation watching. That's that's a lot of pressure. There's going to be a lot of things they haven't seen, a lot of things they're going to have to learn. And there's gonna be those growing pains, and you really don't want them to all come in the same game to open the season.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. They're gonna to have to protect those guys as much as they can. And and this is a big test, right? Tony Pollard in the backfield, CeeDee Lamb moving around the formation. You got Brandon Cooks now with Dallas, really good wide receiver, too, right? If he's your second guy, that's pretty good. Michael Gallup, number three, pretty good. Uh not sure about this tight end, Jake Ferguson. It's kind of his first time as the guy for them, but uh yeah, tough offense to stop for sure. Big challenge for the Giants. We'll see how it goes. I do agree with you. I think the Giants should be able to get some pressure. Uh, you know, the Cowboys are always good in, in their interior O line with Zach Martin leading that group. He's yeah. just one of the best. He's just awesome. But you know, right tackle for Dallas is probably a question mark, right? So there, there's a a chance for the Giants to get after him a little bit.
0: I, I would suggest the Giants, you know, pull the old Bill Belichick move and, and and put you know the number two cornerback on the number one wide receiver and then throw a safety over top the other way, but. That's sure. not Wink's style. He's not going to do that. He's going to blitz. He's going to blitz again. Then he's going to blitz a little bit more, and when you think he's blitzed too much, he's going to blitz some more. So <laughs> I don't I don't see the Giants playing that kind of style where they they kind of protect those cornerbacks and try and take away one receiver like Bel- Belichick has done, pretty much as you can attest to throughout his entire career, which is success. Uh, but that's just not Wink's style. I don't think he's going to do that. Uh, I think he's going to put it in the hands of his rookies out there and, and hope that his pass rush – you know, does their job and helps them out. And, you know, if it does, maybe they pick up a couple of interceptions and in, in their NFL debut, because like we said, Prescott's kind of prone to throwing those these days. And, and when you talk about, you know, pure athleticism, actually the giants as a unit have one of the best relative athletic score grades um, in the entire NFL from top to bottom of their defense. They're extremely, extremely athletic, um, almost uncanny compared to where this team has been over the last decade. So, um, you know the talent is certainly there. The athleticism, the speed is certainly there. That's something the Giants work heavily on this this off too. So, um, yeah, uh, it's time for Cabeau to you know come out and really show the league and the world what he's capable of. You know he's he's got to live up to to those expectations. And you know you got a Z's back who's healthy. He's an opportunity to get in there and and get things done. He's always very disruptive as a pass rusher. So, you know, kind of does set up well for the Giants um, on the defensive side of the ball the offensive side of the ball obviously that's a little bit more of a question mark despite their their improvements
1: yeah for sure the Giants have struggled against Dallas' defense right there's no there's no getting around that DJ has struggled a little bit in his career against his team uh, uh you know what, what, the Giants are i, I read this on Giants wire right that since the Giants won the Super Bowl in 2012 they're well they're five and 18 against the Eagles and five and 17 against the Cowboys so those two teams have been uh just a thorn in the paw and it'd be nice to flip that around Uh, but the Cowboys have won four meetings in a row, 11 of the last 12. It'd be nice for the giants to beat the Cowboys for a change, right, Dan? Uh, but you know, a big reason why the team has struggled against the Cowboys because the Cowboys are good on defense and they have Micah Parsons now, who's a pain in the ass. And I mean that in the most respectful way possible for for Micah. He's just an excellent player and he's all over the place and he's a guy you have to account for. And, and how do you think the giants can stack up against, uh, the Cowboys pressure, right? Because that's kind of how they win games. They're our team that's going to constantly be around you, around the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback. And I feel really good about the Giants at left tackle, and I'm hoping that Evan Neal holds up at the on the right side. But the guard position, I think, is still a little bit of a question mark for the Giants, Dan, right? I mean, you got uh, Ben Bredesen and, and Josh Azudu probably rotating uh, at left guard a little bit, right? It's kind of still in flux. It's not completely set, right? I think we're going to see a little bit of some interchangeable parts there, especially in the interior. We have a rookie center. So does that worry you at all? The Giants O-line versus that Cowboys patented pressure that they, they're they kind of known for and have given the well, Giants fits with in the past?
0: I, I think it's something you've got to be concerned with until it's something you don't have to be concerned with. Until the Giants are actually able to slow down this pass rush and keep Daniel Jones on his feet, which they haven't been able to do against the Cowboys, It's got it has to be a concern. I think that if you're not concerned with that, whether you're someone with the giants, whether you're in the media, whether you're a fan, you're just being dishonest. Uh, DeMarcus Lawrence, don't forget about him. He's been a giants, you know, wrecker for, you know, the entirety of his career. Yep. They got good inside guys. Micah Parsons, obviously a game wrecker in every possible way you can think of. Um, so yeah, it's, it is going to be a challenge for the giants, um, and their offensive line. They're going to have to step up. I'm like, you said, I'm not necessarily worried about Andrew Thomas. It's not a concern I have. Um, Evan Neal needs to step up his game. He's got to play better against Dallas on Sunday than he played against them in his rookie season. They dominated him to the point where it was almost an embarrassment. Um, On the inside, you know, rookie John Michael Smiths, he's certainly got his hands full with someone like Jonathan Hankins, who's a former giant, massive human being. So, you know, welcome to the NFL, my friend. Like, (laughs) as far as the guards, like Ben Bredesen is reliable. I hate the idea of a rotation. I, I hate the idea of a rotation particularly along the offensive line i think that's one of the few things that i don't agree with the Giants and i hope that they kind of abandon that approach do so you think he should just off on you think he
1: should just be the guy
0: he should be the guy he, he's 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 the most reliable guard that they have on the team right now He was, I think, and then, you know, maybe fact check me if you want to, uh, whoever's listening. uh, But I I think Ben Bredesen, outside of Andrew Thomas, was the highest graded offensive lineman for the Giants last year. And he played a multitude of spots. Um, You know, again, he's he's a savvy veteran. He knows what he's doing. He knows the offensive system. It's his second season in it. He communicates well. Uh, I, I don't think there's any reason to risk that, especially against a team like the Cowboys. If you want to rotate against teams that aren't as stout defensively and particularly along the front seven then you know, I guess have at it. But I always believe that continuity is the most important thing along the offensive line and and shuffling guys in and out and having them go from hot to cold to hot to cold in between the drives in the series and, and, and you know, the quarters is just, it's never really a positive thing. I, I can't think of an instance where it was a good idea. You know, everybody hated it when Joe Judge did it, but now all of a sudden it's like Brian Dable's doing it. So it's genius. It's, it's not. I don't think it is. Listen, I'm not a head coach. Obviously, Brian Daywell gets paid to make those decisions, but I don't believe it's a good decision. I don't want to see the Giants do it, especially against a team like the Cowboys or the Eagles or any of the teams like that. So hopefully, Bredesen just stays locked in at left guard. Everybody stays healthy, and, and we just see where the chips fall from there.
1: All right. So in terms of, let's get to the prediction. It's time for you to put on the, the great Danton hat once again, Dan. You got a lot of pressure on yourself to keep up your track record. Uh <laughs> You know, I think in terms of this game, uh, I'm excited to get your your take on it in terms of a prediction. The Giants, like I said, three point dogs. Let's stay at that number. I think if the number stays at three. You can kind of you can kind of feel the Giants a little bit there, right? Three point dogs at home. If the Cowboys win by a field goal, it's a push, right? So I think if the line stays at three, it's a little bit easier to pick the Giants. If the if the line goes, you know, h- higher, if the Giants are dogs by like three and a half or four, I think it even gets more. Uh, appealing under three. I start to get a little worried though, because I just think, I think the Cowboys still have the better roster. I do think like they did Cowboys things, right? Like they went after names. Jerry Jones went after names like Brandon Cook, Stefan Gilmore. Like he, he filled out his roster with names. How much does Gilmore have still in the tank? I still think he's got something definitely not, you know, when he was dominating and winning defensive player of the year for the Patriots years right. ago, but I think he probably still has a little bit in the tank. It's not the same guy, but so, how, I mean, did the Cowboys just go out and get big names and, and hope that that works for them? I don't know. I, I kind of like Brandon Cooks, so they got talent all over the place, and their defense scares the crap out of me. So uh, I I think if the numbers under under three, you're talking two and a half. You know, the, the the Cowboys are favored by two and a half. Under that, I'd probably lean Cowboys three or higher. I can kind of feel the Giants a little bit better there. But what do you think? What's what's the great Dantons take? What's your pick?
0: I feel I do feel a lot of pressure this year, actually, which is weird because I felt no pressure whatsoever <laughs> last year doing these picks. But <laughs> now, uh, now I know people are betting on what I say. Well, well, I, I, well
1: Dan, you a lot you picked the Giants a lot, and they were the best team against the spread last season overall. They went thirteen and four against the spread and ten two as underdogs. So you kept picking the Giants, and they kept covering the spread and, and coming through for you. But yeah, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do that again, I guess.
0: My issue with this game. It's simple. The Giants have struggled against the Cowboys. We know that. Um, they do generally play them close, but when it's not a close game, it's a blowout. There's no in-betweens. It's either a one-score game or Dallas just wipes the floor with them. The other issue facing the Giants is that, and we talked about this last year, they're not a good primetime football team. Make of that whatever you will. Whatever the reason for that is, whether it's the pressure or the talent that they're going up against, whatever, they're, they're not a good primetime team. They're just, they're just not. So the Giants need to buckle both of those trends on Sunday if they want to pick up a victory, and that's sort of a tall order. The good thing for the Giants is that they really do embrace that whatever happened in the past no longer matters attitude. So whereas there are some teams and players that will harp on a lost season or a bad season or really get their ego bloated over a good season or you know a good record, the Giants have just wiped the slate clean and everybody on the team buys into that. Um, I think you get that not just from Brian Dayball, but from Daniel Jones and all the team's five dozen captains that they named. Um, but that is a good mentality to have because it's the one they need if they're going to want to go in and bump this trend because they can't keep thinking about uh, the Cowboys on us. We're no good in primetime, and they put added pressure on themselves. There's enough pressure to play every single week in the NFL, and um, they, don't, they don't need any more than that. So with that in mind and the Giants embracing that mentality – I do think the fans are going to show up in mass. I do think there's going to be a blue out in the stadium. I think it's absolutely going to be rocking in there. And maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, but I think the Giants are going to win outright.
1: Oh, that's just, that's mid-season form from Dan Benton right there. I, I love that. I love that. So, so let me just recap here. The Cowboys have won 11 of the last 12 matchups. DJ one and six in his career against Dallas. You don't think the Giants are very good in prime time, Dan, but they're going to win outright. That's right. <laughs> I love it, man. We're <laughs> in season four here on the Giants Wire podcast. Dan, man, it is uh, it's great to be back on the mic with you for another year, man. I love it. I always enjoy these conversations. I hope the people out there uh, do as well. Uh, so, hey, cheers to another season covering the cow- uh Yeah, covering the covering the Giants. Ah, and uh, no oh, chance Fro- I quit Freudian slip <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> but cheers to you, man, for another season uh, covering the Giants, man. I'm looking forward to it
0: yeah absolutely i hope it's exciting uh, i hope it lasts as long as it did last year i'd love to see some improvement i want to take this a little bit further into the playoffs and see what happens because listen if we know anything about giants history if you know they they pick up a win or two in the playoffs off to the races they go so let's hope that that's the case
1: this year 100 percent. so for dan benton i'm ryan o'leary we appreciate you all for joining us hit subscribe if you haven't yet tell a friend and uh we'll be back next week with more we'll talk to you then.